um, pray like Jesus and Paul. I want us to examine some of Jesus' prayer. Last week we looked at uh, His prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, otherwise known as the Lord's Prayer. And we will also look at a number of others, uh, prayers of the Apostle Paul, and then we'll conclude with John 17, the prayer of Jesus in John 17. But today we want to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, as Kathy read for us. Learning to pray like Paul. Oswald Chambers once said, Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Did you hear that? Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. In other words, it doesn't prepare us to do a greater work. It is the greater work. As we look at Paul's prayer in 1 Thessalonians, I think to understand it, I think we need to look at some other passages as well. We need to go back to the beginning of the book uh, where I want to first show you that prayer is hard work. Prayer is hard work. Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians, if you have your Bibles, chapter 1. Look at verses 2 and 3. Paul wrote, writes, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a mouthful. That's how he begins his, his short little letter. You might think that Paul's given to hyperbole when you read this. That's all he's doing is praying. In fact, in the passage that Kathy read, verse 10 of chapter 3, as we pray most earnestly night and day. So is this all Paul does? I think what Paul is actually saying is that he has a regular habit of prayer. And he's consistently and daily actually pausing his day to pray. It's a regular habit. It's a plan. There's, 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 there's um, a method to his madness, but he's doing this consistently and persistently. It's not like one day and then he forgets about 12 days and then he prays again and remembers them. It's a consistent habit. And how does he pray? Look at what he says. Constantly mentioning you. you. Literally, making mention of you before God. And so Paul, probably in his prayer time in the morning and then his prayer time in the evening, he's thinking back to the church in Thessalonica, and he's going, God, do you remember Jason? I, 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 I'm going to mention his name in your presence. And that's what he does. But what does he also do? Look at verse um, 3. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. Now, it's hard to see faith, isn't it? And it's hard to see love, and it's hard to see hope. But we see the fruit of those things, don't we? We can see the fruit of one's faith. And so Paul, probably writing this letter from Corinth, probably about a year after the church was planted, he goes, Lord, I... I, I I lift up to you the name of Jason, and I remember how Jason was uh, dragged before the authorities on your, uh, because of his faith in you and because of his connection to us. 
and he persisted in following you. He didn't quit. I, I, I see, Lord, that his hope and his trust was in you and not in the things of this earth because he continued to follow you even though he was dragged before the authorities. That was Kathy said and Kathy read. Timothy had come with a report, and so about a year later, Timothy's saying, guess what, Jason is still pursuing the Lord. And guess what, I, I, I've noticed that Nathan is loving the disciples, and, and he's loving the people around him, and, and that's evident by the, the way he's self-sacrificing himself. And so the Apostle Paul says, guess what, Jason? I, I bring your name, I make mention of your name in the presence of God, and as I do that, I remember the work of the Spirit in your life. And, and I give thanks to God. Like, wow, this is good. God, thank you. Thank you. Now, Paul says in verse 2 of chapter 1, we give thanks. Now, who's the we? Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And so it's, it's like Paul saying the three of us get together on a regular basis and we make mention of Jason's name. We bring his name before God and we, bring, and we remember what he's done and, and we give thanks to God for those things in his life. You know, as I read this, I go, this is hard work. Now, I think that I grasp that. Secondly, I think we need to, to, to look at Acts chapter 17 because I think we need to understand not only that, work, that prayer is hard work, but I think we need to understand the context of Paul's prayer to appreciate the hard work. Acts chapter 17, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. But this is how the church in Thessalonica began. Now when they, that would have been Paul and Silas and likely Timothy, when they had passed through Amphiblius, I think that's how you say it, and Apollonia, I think that's how they say that, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on, the, on, on, on three Sabbath days he reasons with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Let me stop right there. Understand that Paul and Silas, they come to Thessalonica by way of Philippi. If you remember what happened in Philippi in chapter 16, there was this great conversion of Lydia where God opened her eyes and she heard the gospel. There was a great conversion of the Philippian jailer and his entire household after the great earthquake where the, the, the chains were rattled off. But you also need to remember that Paul was beaten in Philippi. And thrown in prison. And then he was kind of kicked out of the place after that. And so he's wandering into Thessalonica, not at the top of his game. He's probably limping into Thessalonica physically. And what got him in trouble in, in, in Philippi? Well, it was this gospel that he was preaching. 
And he comes to Thessalonica, and the first thing he does is he walks into the Jewish synagogue, and he begins to do this very same thing. The very thing that got him in trouble, he continues to do. He says he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, the Old Testament. He picked up the Old Testament, and he began to explain and prove that Jesus died, and he had to. And that three days later, he rose from the grave. And then he says, this Jesus, who would have been about 17 years previous, okay, so we're talking about 49 AD, so about 17 years ago, this Jesus who died and rose from the dead, this Jesus is king. That's what he's saying. Jesus is Messiah. That's what he's preaching. Verse 4. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Okay, so in the synagogue, the Jews are gathered. And so some of these Jews actually believed the Apostle Paul and Silas. They heard and they believed. But along with them, there were some Greeks, some outsiders. They, they, they were devout. They agreed. They believed. And not a few of them leading women. Now, in the early church, most of the early church were slaves. But there were some higher people in society that became Christians. And in this contest, Thessalonica, there was some leading woman in the city that became Christians. They became followers of Jesus. Now, what did Jesus, what, what was he preaching? Jesus is king. Verse 5, but the Jews, those who didn't believe, were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. That's why I mentioned Jason. And when they could, when they could not find them, could not find Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Why is that a big deal? Because in Thessalonica, Thessalonica was a, a, a distinguished or a, a privileged city in the, in, the, in the nation of, or the, 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 the empire of Rome. And to be a privileged city meant they had to honor Caesar, and, and they couldn't have another king. If they had another king from Caesar, they would lose their privileged status, which would be an economic problem in their context. Now understand, some leading women have come to faith in Jesus, and now calling Jesus king and not Caesar as king, and so they caused this uproar. acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Verse 8, And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money and security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue, which is interesting. They go back to the Jewish synagogue in another city to preach the same message that got them in trouble in Thessalonica and in Philippi. Now, to understand the context, Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's gone through Lystra, Derby, He's gone through Iconium, the, the, the regions of Phrygia. Galatia goes to Troas, crosses over into Europe. The first time the gospel gets into Europe, preaches the gospel to Lydia by the river. She comes to faith in Christ, goes and thrown in prison, beaten, thrown in prison, preaches the gospel to the Philippian jailer. They come to Christ. He's driven out of the city, goes to Thessalonica, there for three weeks, 
driven out of that city, then goes to Berea, preaches the gospel there in the synagogue, driven out of that city, goes then by himself to Athens because he leaves, he leaves Silas and Timothy back in, in Berea so that they would encourage the new Christians. He goes to Athens and he preaches the gospel and basically what happens there is they laugh him out of town. And then he ends up in Corinth. And the Apostle Paul, when he gets to Corinth in chapter 19, it's, it's um, I'm sorry, chapter 18, the first thing he does is he goes to Corinth and he has to, he has to work. He's got to earn a living. We're told he meets Aquila and Priscilla. And the reason he meets in verse 3 of chapter 18, because he was of the same trade. He stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So he's working with his hands so he can put money in his pocket, food, put food in his belly, have a place to live in. And then we're told in verse 4, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. This is his life. So just in case you think, okay, Paul is a man that prays consistently and regularly and constantly, you know, he's living in a, in a different world where life was easy. He had time to pray. No! He's beaten and run out of town. He's laughed at and run out of town. And then when he gets to the next town, he's busy preaching and he's got to work to make an earning a living. And then we're told that he's, what? What's he doing? He's praying night and day for Jason back in Thessalonica. But just in case you think it's, I know it's not just Jason, he's praying for the other believers in Thessalonica, but just in case you think it's just Thessalonica that he prays for, listen to his words to to the church in Philippi, which he writes at a later date. He writes to the church in Philippi, and he says something very similar. Chapter 1, verse 3 of the Philippians. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. He says to the church in Philippi, I'm praying for you. Prayer is the greater work. It's a hard work. And I mean, I just, I read this and I go, all right, what's wrong with you? I think Paul's teaching us that, that, that we should pray and that our prayer life should be, should be habitual. That our prayer life, there should be a plan to it. That, that there should be a persistence in our prayer life. I think he's teaching us that when we pray, we don't just say pray for all those missionaries out there. But Lord, I, I'm going to lift up to you. Lord, I'm going to pray for Gord. God, thank you for Gord and the work you're doing in Gord's life. And Lord, these are things that, that I can't do, but you're doing this in his life. Lifting his name up before the throne and remembering and giving God thanks for what he's done. As, as I went through this, I, like this is not Elroy, okay? And I'm not going to wake up tomorrow morning and turn on a switch and I'm suddenly going to become the Apostle Paul, nor will any of us. 
But I do think that we can be challenged by the Apostle Paul and say, tomorrow morning we're going to get up and we're going to put together a plan and we're going to say, okay, God, these are the people I'm going to pray for. These are the people I'm going to lift up to you. And I think we can grow in our prayer life. One of the reasons why we're going through this series and praying like Jesus and Paul is because back in, in January when we gathered as a family to talk about our church, we, we said there's a couple of areas that we are, not weak, we are not good at. There's probably more than that, but there's a couple areas that we're not good at. One is prayer and one is evangelism, sharing our faith. And Paul was good at both. And we thought, why don't we tackle one of them and begin to learn how to pray? But did you see what they were also doing? They weren't just praying in the closet on their own. They were praying together. We had um, Megan and Andrew over, I think, was it Monday night? We ended our time together in prayer. I think we should make that a habit when we get together. We just pause and pray. Pray for each other and lift up. But prayer is hard work. What's our plan? Who are we praying for? What, what, where are we going with this? This, this? this passage, this this text has challenged me. And I must grow in my prayer life as a result of this. My challenge is that we all need to. let's get to the meat of the text. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And I want to zero in on verses 9 through 13. And I want us to take a look at the content of the Apostle Paul's prayer. Because even more convicting is when I compare my prayer life and what I pray for typically with what Paul prays for. Or as we did last week, what Jesus prayed for. Look what he does in verse 9. He says, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all, all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? Verse 10, As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Let's begin. Paul, Paul is, is, when he prays and when they pray together, they give thanks. And they give thanks for people. They give thanks to God for people. For, and, and, and we looked at it in chapter 1. Remembering before our God your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope. They, they give thanks to God for what God is doing in their life on eternal things. Now notice he says, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. So as he's thinking about Jason and he's making mention of Jason's name before God, and he's remembering Jason's faith, his hope, and his love. And he says, God, thank you for those things. He's actually saying, God, I, I'm, I'm, you, Jason brings me great joy. On Friday, I had the privilege to go out for lunch with my oldest daughter. And she had to bring Micah. So I got to hang out with Micah too, our grandchild. But we went out, and she, for the first time ever, she didn't buy a hamburger when we went out for lunch. I, she went and got Greek food. 
Where is she, by the way? I'm trying to tease her. But in our, con- in our conversation, Jay sends her a text, and Jay says, I said, well, what was Jay up to today? And he, well, he was taking an exam, and he got his marks back, and his, his grade was out of this world, and, and, and there was a sense of joy. Like, like, yeah. I don't know if the word is pride or whatever, but it was just a joy. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's my Jay. A couple of weeks ago, we were in Invermere, and Rochelle was playing in a soccer tournament, and um, she had a good tournament. Uh, she won't tell you that, but I will. A couple of the parents came to me after, after a couple of the games and said, boy, Rochelle played good this, in that last game. And, and I said, yeah, she did. You know, I kind of tried to be humble, but I wasn't too good at it. And there was a sense of joy. Because I was like, wow, like, but these are physical things. These are, these are, these are things of, 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 of the mind and of the physical. Those are things that God has blessed them with, and I should thank God for those gifts in them. It is good to feel joy in God's presence for those things. But, but Paul prays differently. He says, God, I thank you that in Jason there's this, this hope. He just trusts you. He's a persistent trust in you. Even when circumstances are difficult. And we read from the rest of the letter that they were, they were suffering. Timothy's bringing not only a report that, that uh, they're loving one another, but that they're suffering. He, he prays, Lord, thank you for the faith that you've put in them, and that faith is growing, and it, it, it's, it's persisting. And God, thank you for the love. And I know that there's a love because there's a self-sacrificing, there's a giving of themselves to one another and to the world around them. And Paul pauses and Silas pauses and Timothy pauses together to say, God, thank you. And in his, God's presence, they have great joy because they see and they hear of these things. How do you pray? This thing shouldn't move. I should be up there. I bring that down here. But how do you pray? Is that how you pray? Now, let's, let's, let's carry on. What else does he pray for? Verse 10, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face. He wanted to go back there. He wanted to be there. We're, what we're told in Acts chapter 17, likely he was there maybe three weeks at the most Maybe a couple months, we're not completely sure, but he wasn't there very long. And in chapter 2, we're told that uh, in, verse, um, in verse 18, we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan got in the way, but that didn't stop Paul from praying. I want to go back there. But he didn't want to go back there just because he enjoyed their company, because they were just kind people, and it's just good to be with them and have a beer with them. That wasn't his point. He wanted to go there. Why? Supply what is lacking in your faith. He wanted to go there to use the gifts that God had given him to pass it along to them. 
And so in the context of his prayer, he says, God, would you allow me to go and be with Jason again because I was only there for a little while and I wasn't able to teach him all that Christ had taught us to, to observe. Would you allow me to go back? Satan has tried to stop me, but Lord, would you allow me to go back and do this? How do we pray? Is there, even our prayer in our prayer life, is it, is it, is it unselfish? The Apostle Paul continues in verse 11. He says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct their way to you. And then verse 13, And may the Lord, that's Jesus, make you increase. That's the king, by the way. May the king make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you. You know, I can preach till the cows come home. And it doesn't matter how eloquently I preach how loudly I preach, how quietly I preach. My preaching is not going to make you love one another more. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. And it's only as God gives us that love and God changes us and transforms us that we will love each other. And that we will look beyond the, 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 the bounds of these walls and we will love our city. And so Paul is, is wise and he is right when he says, May God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love. If you think your kids need to grow in love, get on your knees. You can do this all you want. It ain't going to work. Now, there is a place for this. I, I understand that. But pray. If we want our church to love one another, and now we, we've been told that they, are, they, they do love one another. Paul actually says we've seen it. Paul wants them to love one another greater, with abounding. He wants a love that's crazy, radical. That's what he wants to see in their life, and he's praying for that end. Do we pray like that? Paul's telling Elroy, Lord, I've seen Tom love the church in some incredible ways. I've seen this unselfish love in his life. I've seen that love uh, impact not only this church family and not only his family, but I've seen it impact his neighborhood and, and the people around him. Thank you. But God, would you would you cause his love to to increase and abound more and more. That's what Paul's teaching. That's how, that's how Paul's teaching us to pray. He's saying put Tom on the prayer list and, and, and pray to that end for Tom. But not just Tom, but, but you, you get my point. Like as we read this, James tells us when we look at the Bible, we're not to pull it up to us and go look at a mirror and go, man, I look good. And then walk away and forget. Like, no, you're supposed to look in the mirror and go, boy, there's a zit on the face, and I better deal with that thing. We're to look in this mirror and go, God, my prayer life isn't what it ought to be, and Lord, would you change me? Would you grow me? Would you shape my prayer life? Would, would I get up tomorrow and pray differently? 
Finally, how does Paul pray? Verse 13, so that he says, so that he, God, may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Really quick there. Our hearts is not only the center of our emotions, that's how we use the language, but in that context, the heart was a place where we, where we would, um, it's, it's our thought life. The heart was what we want and our will, our desire, our passions. And if you look at chapter 2, verse 4, it's also our motivations. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. So sometimes our heart is the seat of our motivation. Why, why do we do what we do? Do we love other people so that we look good in their presence? Or do we love other people because we want God to be glorified? We want to please God. And so what, what's, how's Paul praying? He's praying that Jason, in, in, not only in his actions, but in, in his very inner core, his thought life, his motivations, his will would be blameless and holy before God at the last day. You see, Paul is praying not that Jay will have a good grade on his exam this week. I think he's praying that way too. But he's praying, Lord, I pray that Jay would love you and that Jay's heart would be so motivated to please you that it would be blameless when he stands in your presence on the last day. That he would grow in that way. You see, Paul has an eternal perspective when he prays for one another. And so I'm going to do something really uncomfortable. I'm going to ask you to look around the room. I do this a lot. I'm like, do it, please. Just look around. Look at the faces around you. Look in front of you. Look behind you. Look, look at the people that are here. Okay, this is not to be odd and weird, but uh, I know it kind of feels that way. I get to look at your pretty faces. You have to look at this ugly mug all the time. Paul is telling us, lift these brothers and sisters up this coming week and pray like this. Thank God for the work in their life. Pray, Lord, would you allow me to, to invest in them? Lord, would, you, would their, their love increase and abound more and more? And God, would you cause their hearts, their inner core of who they are, would they become blameless and holy? Now, you might say, okay, well, that's great, but why? Why would we pray such a way? Why, why, would, we, why would we do such a thing? Because of Jesus. After all, God so loved the world, as Jay quoted in his prayer, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's love for us was astounding. 
where he placed his, willingly placed his body on a cross to be brutally murdered on our behalf. Well, the grave couldn't keep him. Three days later, he rose from the grave never to die again, and that's why he's king. He's sitting on a throne. But we see his love, and because of his love, we want to grow in our love. We want to grow in our prayer life. We want to grow in, in these ways. That's why. Let's pray. Lord, I'm an Elroy, a creation. You are God the Creator. Lord, we are a people, as we started the day off, we, we are a people that are broken, that are, have fallen short of Your glory. Um, we've, we've shook our fists in Your face. We've rebelled against You. We don't deserve to actually even come into Your presence. But Lord, You are not only God, You're the God who loved us that gave His Son Jesus. Thank You. Thank You. And because of that, Lord, we can pray. And Lord, would you teach us to pray aright? Would you teach us to pray regularly and consistently and with fervency and with persistence? And would you teach us to pray together? And, and Lord, would you, would you teach us to pray for one another? And Lord, would we as we pray, may we begin to realize that this is the greater work. And when we come off of our knees and we open our eyes, may we begin to watch you do your work. And so Father, I pray that you would teach us to pray. In your precious name we pray. <laughs> Amen. This morning, like every morning, we're going to end our service as we gather around the table. And um, I'm going to ask Jay if he would come and join me. Jay's downstairs. Well, you're not going to ask Jay then. Andrew, if I could ask you to come and join me. You're on your way. Thank you, sir. We're going to do this right this week. We're going to have two groups. If Jesus is your Savior, if, you've, uh, if there's been a time and place in your life where you've said, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, then you're welcome to come. And we don't like to do it alone because when Jesus saved us, he saved us and brought us into a family. So bring somebody with you. But you can go towards Andrew or myself and uh, as we continue to worship him.